0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of 50 Toasts. Thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. We do this. Uh, we Oh, I, you know what? I didn't plug in my other light. Le- I got a... I'm competing with the most well lit motherfucker in the history of it's Chris Spangle uh, right there very excited about having him on let's do a few housekeeping things and dive right in. we do something here live, Facebook live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Uh, tonight, we got Chris Spangle. Next week, we've got Dan Kaufman, a buddy of mine who's a cartoonist and a comedian. And he's known to Bob and Tom fans as the, the guy who wrote Fish and Paint. That might be. There's a the old school Bob and Tom guys know that reference. Um, he's a very creative, uh, interesting, lovable weirdo. And I can't wait to talk to him. Uh every tuesday morning at 8:20, i'll be on bob and tom uh telling some football jokes and wrapping up the weekend that was in the nfl every monday at about 7:30 p.m we're going to be doing the facebook live version of quick snaps the podcast right here in this same space and then it gets uh, uploaded into the podcast universe the way you normally would this program is not a podcast but it can be found uh some recorded versions of it later on youtube so get on over there i just spent the day Uploading some stuff. I got Jimmy Pardo's interview on there, and uh, uh, Donnie Baker uh, is on there. Ron Sexton, it's a hell of a it's a hell of a a bride. Listening to that guy's story, um, and about five or six others, and I'm putting a few others up there soon. Uh, Pat Godwin got posted today. So anyway, get on over there and check all check out all that stuff. I want to do a quick thank you to some of the patrons who have joined the. The community that we just started building. John Riggs, giant thanks to you, man. Ron Milford, thank you. Uh, Carl Thacker, Kyle Jolink. And just yesterday, Chris Landrosch. Landrosch? Londrachi. You tell me. I don't change your name for show business. That's what they've been telling me, Chris. they
0: uh, <laughs> still look up your name right. for eight years.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Enough of that. We got a great guest tonight. It's uh it's Chris Spangle. He's well, there's I don't even know how to describe you, you wear so many hats, but among them, you are the digital director of the Bob and Tom show you're the social media guy and you well there's a lot to this that's actually going to be my first question let me finish the intro and we'll get right back to that. I have, I, you've been kind enough to let me uh, buy you a sandwich and have you educate me on all things social media on more than one occasion, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you've been very good, very helpful to me in that regard. And you've become a giant in your own world with this We Are Libertarians universe that you've been building. Correct. And also, a giant
0: in my own head.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also the Pat Down podcast podcast. Uh, that is an insane, crazy thing. I can't believe that you I can't believe that you do all three of the things I just said, not to mention the other 17 things that you do. So you, you got range, my friend.
0: Yeah, I wake up at six and I just I, I work till I'm done. And I have a very patient uh, girlfriend who allows me to ignore her while I work. But <laughs> it just requires a lot of concentration. And yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm appreciative of you inviting me on. You've had so many great guests and. I bet I, I guess it's best described when you plugged that I was going to be on and Tom got to my name, there was a sense of questioning, <laughs> disgust, <laughs> anger. And then Christy Lee howling with laughter. So
1: it's. You do have some good company. We have had a good run because we had it was like back to back to back. Like, oh, 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 you know, it was. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Right. We we had Pardo and then we had uh, Christy Lee and we had Pat Godwin and we had Josh Arnold and Chris Spangle. What? (laughs) It's it's funny that they it's 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 also it's funny to me that they didn't describe your role in their worlds at all i kind of thought they were going to but you know what they also didn't about ron sexton they like didn't want to talk about it or they were afraid to take off santa claus's hat or something you know they're uh uh, they're a funny bunch
0: i don't know i i laughed because it it's like i'm the little brother there you know i'm a behind the scenes person on the on the the show and i don't i'm not on the show i have not been invited in the room I nor will I ever be invited in the room which is okay with me because I don't think I'd be very good um you know and it uh but I do have these other side projects like the pat down podcast for instance has become really uh popular so it's been sort of an awkward uncomfortable year in some ways just because like my anonymity has been blown right. mainly because of that project um you know and some of these side projects but it, it did make me laugh. It was it was sort of <laughs> like and crit is Spangle. <laughs> Any of your audience it's is doing it right now.
1: I, it, it's funny to hear you say this because I thought that in my head and I thought I ah, probably over overestimating how that sounded to anybody else now there was a little bit of a huh and then christy was like oh you guys with the politics you'll have a conversation you know like, yeah so there's a bit of a dig at both of us
0: <laughs> yeah i'm a very political person online which is why i don't really ever talk about my my day job just because it's very non-political and i don't want anything that i ever say to reflect back on that because i have i just have the utmost respect for the show and for tom in particular So so I I always try to keep that separate. So it was one of those weird little leaks.
1: (laughs) Right, right, yeah, that's great. All right, well, let's talk about all that because that's actually what I'm most intrigued by is that you have the disparity in the hats that you wear is astounding. Like you really, first of all, you're the, you basically, well, let's go back to the beginning. So how did you wind up on the Bob and Tom show in the first place?
0: So I started in college, I got an internship at a local radio station, it was a news talk station, and my career path for almost my entire life has been to go into radio and to become a talk radio show host. You know, it starts driving around my grandmother listening to Rush Limbaugh as a kid, and I think, thinking back recently, after his cancer diagnosis, it's that experience of my grandma ranting about, you know, liberals in the car as a, as a little kid where I was just like, I, I fell in love with politics, I fell in love with radio. I, I was a li- I've been a lifelong Bob and Tom fan. Uh, I, I can remember in 2005 when I was working at that AM radio station, they had a carb day broadcast downtown and I was like standing behind the scenes, hoping to catch a glimpse of any of them. Yeah, I never never thought I would ever get to meet any of them, let alone have the experience I've had the last eight years. But I started at that talk station as a a producer, a reporter, uh, an engineer. I got a a great experience doing a ton of stuff. And I really dialed in on social media marketing there. And it was the lowest rated AM station in Indianapolis, Uh, Which I think was the 50th market at the time. So I was at the very bottom of the rung, but I got to learn a ton of stuff, specifically how to market a station with no money in the beginning, because that was 2005 when that's when social media started. And then I left there to go work for the Libertarian Party of Indiana. And I did that for four years. And you definitely have no money in a third party. So you're using social to market over and over and over. You're building a bunch of organizations. You're you know, learning to do podcasts and edit video and do all that because you can't hire that out like the other guys do. Um, and then left there to go to an advertising agency. And while there, I met PJ Yinger, who is the graphics guy, because he did a logo for me. And he started picking my brain about stuff. And he's like, I really want you to meet Tom and tell him this. I go, I'm not going to meet my childhood hero and tell him how bad I think his website is. (laughs) Like, it's just no go. Uh, And what I didn't know is that they were looking for somebody to help kind of bring bring up some of the social media and some of their platforms. And they 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 had been uh, kind of in a, a they were looking to evolve and so i started doing some consulting on the side and and helping their team just figure out social and and this was 2013 so you still could do organic growth you could do a lot of great things on social which are all dead now um but and then they they made the switch they made a big switch and they needed to have everything completely transferred over and uh, manage this giant project and they brought me on staff and i started in late 2013 and uh, became the digital director and You know, from there, we evolved it from I was doing social media marketing to now it's Jeff Oske who is really the unsung hero of the behind the scenes of the Bob and Tom team. I mean, he's he's just so instrumental. And and the expansion over the last three years of all the video program and all the stuff we're doing now is really because Jeff has taken on a lot of a lot of work. And he's just an all star. But Jeff and I do video editing, video streaming, social media podcasting, just all kinds of stuff. And there's, you know, there's about 10, 12 people on staff and everybody's working on all these different things in collaboration with each other at all times. So it's really a team effort, but that's kind of the gist of do. You,
1: you guys have come so... Far from where you were how did here's the i mean this is kind of the easy question but it, i do want to know the answer to this tom is a hero of mine too and he's he has changed my life and i owe him everything he's been so good to me um but not the most cutting edge technology guy right, right. like he he doesn't even as far as i know he does not even on social media even privately No. (laughs) Uh, So how did how do you drag? How do you drag that sort of, you know, uh, ethic about this universe to the modern world? That seems like a tough challenge.
0: I don't have to drag anybody to do anything. Um, Tom is you can see it on the show because nobody takes more hits than Tom. Right. Like nobody's made fun of more than Tom. Like I'll never forget. watching a bit that Josh did and Tom is writing jokes about himself and laughing at Josh making these horrible like he Tom is he's not a prideful person he is a very um open-minded person and he knows what he doesn't know and he hires smart people to do what they need to do and then lets them do it and he knows that he knows that he doesn't know a lot about this world and now he knows what he likes and he knows what works and I can tell you that uh, my, he, he will tell me something and I'll go, Oh, that's never going to work. And then I'll do it and it'll explode because he just has a sixth sense for what his audience wants. And so Tom is not only, um, very open-minded and, and lets people do what they need to do and just says, Hey, I trust you go with it. But he's also a great example. Like he's there at three thirty four o'clock every morning. Nobody works harder than him. Nobody prepares more than him. Right. nobody's more on the ball. I mean, he's, he's just, and that's part of why I think that I've kind of evolved myself and going, all right, well, if Tom can get up and do this and Tom can do that, then I have no business watching television at night when I could be doing something more productive. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like he's, he is getting up at three thirty in the morning. He's working till 8 PM. He's he do, has a great family life. Like, so I've watched his example over the last eight years and he's just been a, a huge huge influence on me
1: yeah yeah he's a monster and he makes what he does is so hard to do he's, <laughs> he's ultimately in charge of juggling balls in the air for four and a half hours and he's the one who has to catch them when everyone else drops them and what he does is a crazy miracle that it happens five times a week for 30 years <laughs> <That's> yeah <crazy. laughs> um all right so then how uh, i i yeah, I'm, I have so many questions about everything. Um, I listened to a little bit of uh, We Are Libertarians this week in preparation for this. I used to I, I used to listen to a lot more podcasts, but it's been hard this year because for me, listening to podcasts is about walking through airports and being in a rental car and driving to a gig and being on a train to go do a midnight set somewhere in the city in New York. And I haven't been doing any of that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I caught up a little bit this week and I listened to you talk about uh, a few things. One of them is you have some trepidation about social media. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about that.
0: Uh, the, the the social media that started in 2005 and evolved and gave me the career that I have is a lot different now than it was then. And I think we've learned a lot more about the nature of it. And so while I, I I spend too much time there, uh, but most people do. Like there have been studies that show people spend two out of every five minutes on Facebook. And if you talk to any person that's a social worker or a teacher, they'll tell you that the the mental health crisis of kids in K through 12 education and acting out is almost solely due to signs of neglect in kids who are being ignored by their parents who are on their phone. You know, and and it's, and it's easy to do. And it's easy to kind of like, oh my, it's hard to read a book now. Once I got a smartphone in 2010, like it's harder to read a book because you get three page, you get a page in and your brain's going, wonder what's going on out there. You know, I want to hook into the matrix. Like I, I really have a hard time trying to get my brain to reset to real life. You know, if I'm having family time, trying to make sure that I am, I am ignoring what's going on out there. And plugged into what's happening here, you know, because it's hard, it's hard to do, especially if you, you you know, you're managing a few different brands, and there's always something to share, or there's always something, you know, there's, when you're running a content machine, it's kind of, it's hard to check out, but I don't think that I'm unique. I think that a lot of people have that experience with it. And what I've seen with Facebook in particular, but they all kind of do this, you know, if you run something like a political page, like the We're Libertarians page, I can post helpful, like I just wrote a post on here's your basic guide to voting. Like lots of people have basic questions because a lot of what we try to do is even though it's geared towards libertarianism, I try to explain the news, give people context of what's going on, try to give a nonpartisan, independent look at what's happening. Like this weekend, we're going to talk about the Hunter Biden thing. OK, we're going to we, we post our show notes, which are usually 16 pages long, like we do a lot of research. We try not to be crazy. We try to just show you our work so you can trust what we're saying, and you can pick that apart too. And uh, you know, because people just don't really trust what's going on. You take something like that, for instance, and it's like, I don't know if I should trust this universe over here or this universe over there. And uh, we're 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 kind of the voice in the middle, uh, trying to to help people make sense of things. Um, And with social media, if I post something like your guide to voting here, find out candidate information, find out how to register to vote, find out where your polling place is, it will get five to 900 impressions on a page with 100,000 likes. If I post something that I know after 20 years of doing this will inflame an audience and poke all the right buttons, then it's going to get 50, 60,000 impressions. Yeah. And so Facebook, despite all their protestations of how they've fixed everything and they're trying to be more responsible, they really haven't been. And I can tell you as a content creator, it's a constant battle within yourself to avoid going lowest common denominator, you know, and again, going back to what my day job and the example that is set there and the standards that are set there. And yeah, you could do that because that'll be that, that you know, you can eat candy bars all day every day, but eventually the consequences of that are really severe and dire and and it's not going to make you a healthy individual. And so, you know, as a person who is constantly spending all day thinking about what am I putting into other people's brains with what I share on all of these different platforms, I think really hard about the impact on the other side of the mouse what is, is this good for them? Is this good for me? And, and it's, it's really taken on a very like, trying to be very thoughtful about how I manage things, especially on the political side, because it's just so easy right now, especially in an election year, to just inflame and flame and flame and flame. And you can get, you know, we were stuck at 97,000 likes for two years. And all of a sudden we're at 102,000 likes in two months. Well, I could probably be at 120 right now. If I really wanted to like poke, 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 but you just can't do that. You have to really think like strategically about what's good for you, what's good for them. And I I don't, I don't know that it's totally, I think that the addictive nature of this stuff, the outrage machine that we've got, that's giving us the dopamine hits isn't always good for us.
1: Yeah, for sure. But, but we're still working within the world uh, where we desperately need this machine that we're beginning to question you know, so it's an interesting balance. It's, I mean, you're the, you're the quintessential example of literally being a social media director in a way and beginning to go, Ooh, yikes. So that, yeah. that was an eloquent uh, run through of it all. I, I agree. I, I'm trying to grow a brand. In fact, I might be launching a brand here soon and very much of the plan is to build it on social media. Um, but yeah, it's uh. There's definitely some concerns about it. That's for sure, man. Uh, yeah. It's easy to, it's easy to get lost in it. That's that's yeah. And it is lowest common denominator. You know, it's funny that when you said that, I thought that's true. That's always true of a comic too. It's very mm-hmm. you can't write, You can't. You don't want to do an hour of sex or penis comedy. But uh, what? But yeah, I'm time mean, to
0: replace my act.
1: One might, <laughs> one has. Yeah. Uh, but one yeah. shouldn't.
0: It's, it's every, right. It's every every industry, right? Like every industry I've ever dipped my toes in, be it marketing or journalism or radio or politics or comedy or stand up comedy, like there's always an easy path. You know, and like you can be Tommy Lauren or you could be like a pick your both sides as a hyper partisan leftist, like playing for the cheap seats, right? Or you can be the comic who's, who's doing the hacky material, but you know, that's just going to, that's kind of what people want. They love it. You could be a journalism site and, and just do top 10 lists all day long, but there is a consequence in doing that. You lose respect from your peers, which you in the end appreciate far more than most other things. Like, and I've seen this and I've learned this kind of from the comedy world. Like, you guys have a very strong ethic and it, it, it reminds me a lot of journalists. Like there is a lot of call out culture setting kind of the, the boundaries of what's acceptable. You're not supposed to do this and steal jokes and how dare you, you know, right. and you know, and it, and it keeps the product better. It keeps comedians healthier. It keeps them sharper because they're not just playing to those cheap seats. They're pushing the edges of what actually is, is interesting and what is Groundbreaking,
1: yeah. I got I got a call uh, years ago from an academic who was studying this, and he was fascinated because uh, he found stand up to be sort of the paradigm of of artistic self policing uh, that you don't see in other fields. Like in the his example was like in the fashion industry, if there's something that comes out that hits, everyone steals it the next day. Yeah, and builds their own version of it, and he was intrigued that comics had such a strong sort of ethic to be original that they would literally shun each other if that wasn't followed. And so, so somewhere, I'm a footnote in an academic paper about this <laughs> uh, because he was, he was intrigued. He wanted to talk to a comic. Luckily for him, I did some academia, and so I love talking to him about stuff like that. Um, so that's a good segue. There was a time when I was a political expert. I was I had a master's degree in political science and studied uh, American elections, and worked on a campaign, and I have gone the other direction. I've kind of, my interest, my natural interest has faded, and I've gotten very busy with the other things that I'm doing, and so one of my questions for you is, who are libertarians? Because in my head, and this is an old-fashioned thought, it's a weird big tent of lots of different sort of subgroups. There's people who used to be republicans and then became annoyed by maybe the evangelicals sneaking in and telling you what to do in a different way and there's old hippies that are want to have guns and are pissed about the government and there's idealists that say that you should do what you want government and everyone else be damned and there's people who are just bitter about the government that we have had and want something different. And tell, tell me the truth. What's what's who are libertarians? Uh, all of the above. And
0: most of them embodied in one person. You know, if you are a libertarian, you feel all those different strains there are. You know, we are libertarians. We try to bring in people from a, a variety of backgrounds and, and and thoughts. And we fight it out amongst each other. I mean, I literally said in our, our group, our behind the scenes group chat today, who's what are we arguing about today? You know, because we've got more conservatarian people, we've got libertarian socialists, you know, on the left right spectrum, they couldn't be further apart. And then, you know, I'm more in the center. But then there's, you know, an, on issues on various issues, we all disagree. There's a great quiz out there that if you don't know where you stand politically, it's called I uh, And you can take that quiz and it'll tell you. Who you most identify that you take the quiz with all the, the the questions on issues find out where you stand and then it'll assign you to a party and issues and i've i've had some friends take it and like these trump supporters are like i'm a democrat yeah <laughs> <laughs> um you know and it's sort of like a weird thing that helps people who don't know a lot about it but when you look at mine like i'm 89 percent with the libertarian party 48 percent with the republicans and 20 percent with the democrats and You know, I I really try to look at things from issue to issue, but it's all through the lens of a single paradigm. And the basis of libertarianism is the idea that government force is inherently immoral. And you it's it's what your parents taught you when you were a kid. It's an extension of the values that you learned as a child. Don't hit people. Don't take other people's stuff. Don't lie to people. You know once you get older don't commit fraud uh and those are basic moral violations but fraud is in the top four (laughs) absolutely you know and so you're you're violating people's you know like things well things like murder you know any kind of you know you and i can shout at each other all day long but if i hit you if i lie to you if i try to to defraud you out of a contract things like that then that's a problem right but yeah of course um the morality doesn't change when there's four of us voting to make you do what we want. And it doesn't change just because we're gonna give you something in return for what we're taking from you. You know, If we take your car and give you a bike, that morality doesn't change. And so we look at everything through an, a basic principle in that you, you cannot initiate force to achieve social and political goals. It must be done through voluntary private means. You and I can contract with each other to, to live in a society together where we agree on the rules. And when you and I agree, we uphold those rules more than rules we're just kind of born into and we have no real tangential connection to, right? So a, a big part of our problem is that we look at the world as so many people right now are so nervous about the presidential election. Because we have, we have put so much power into that position that we've outsourced so much of our uh, emotional uh, uh, health to the outcome of that. And I will tell people, please do, do not get angry. Do not get sad. Do not harm yourself. If your candidate doesn't win, the world is not going to end. In fact, your life is probably not going to change all that much because what matters most are the people that live around you. It's the people that live in close proximity to you. It's the people that you choose to work with. It's the people that you choose to have in your friends and family groups. The 100 people that you come into contact with every single day are the most important people. And you make decisions already to voluntarily interact with those people. And you'd be happier if you didn't have this other apparatus outside of you sucking out 45% of your income, causing you all this stress, causing, you know promising you that they're going to give you public safety. Like, I, you know, th- like I had my four tires stolen off of my car. I called the police. They said, thanks. We'll take a police report for your insurance. Well, are you going to find my wheels? No, we don't have the ability to do that. So we live in the illusion of the state protecting us. We already have a duty to protect ourselves, our property, our friends, our family, our community. It's just time to take ownership of that. And stop outsourcing that to a mythology that somehow this is all benefiting us. Because at the end of the day, I don't think there's anybody that turns on the news and goes, government is benefiting me and other people in a very concrete, positive way on the on the whole.
1: Yeah, I hear you. It's, it's a pretty clean philosophical point of view. It's, uh, it's tricky for me as, you know, coming from another world. For me, there are things that individuals don't do well and communities do very well like for instance roads and schools and libraries and healthcare those it, and military defense which is probably my least favorite of on the on the <laughs> of all the things on a list but those things you can't you can't just leave to the individuals to sort out in a laissez faire world in my opinion now that's a debatable point but um
0: In our current environment and our current setup, I could see how you could see that. But when you think about the world that you want to create in 2100, like I do, and the world we are going to move towards because of technology, those issues become less important because you're no longer militarizing 370 million people to invade Iraq, for instance. You know, you're not being aggressive. You're you're choosing to put economics first. I think that. What we will see over the next decades is that as technology advances and people find it so easy to to earn a living, to start a business, to voluntarily cooperate with each other. All that other stuff becomes so much less important because the economic becomes so much more important as we, we as the world becomes more decentralized, people will become more comfortable with it. You know, as we move away from the greatest generation mentality of of the way that society was organized, those people, our our grandparents and great-grandparents are very comfortable with big institutions. They served in the military. They watched Walter Cronkite. They believed that world existed. But, you know, that mindset is fading away, and that's never – we have no ability to go back to the world of the 1950s because the internet has fundamentally radically changed everything. There are gatekeepers – But there are no more walls you and i are proof of that you know and so you you can seek or swim based on your own talent and work ethic and and everybody is in that kind of same position and you have uh, and the people that don't have the ability to pull themselves up by the bootstraps because they have no boots it's never been easier to help raise money for them to find out their story and provide aid to them i think you're you're seeing in the internet so when somebody says give me an example of a libertarian society at work The internet is kind of a good starting point to look at because that decentralization allows for massive growth of new opportunities in helping people, starting businesses, and that's only going to increase because as we transfer from big corporations to the gig economy, we're never going back to the big corporations. So now government has to change, education has to change, like media has changed, like comedy is changing, like everything else is changing, and people are going to get to a point where they just go, "I don't want the social conservatives telling me what to do. I don't want the the, the Democrats with with these giant structured you know green new deals, and uh, I just want you out of my way." You know, yeah, 2020 is the story of get the boot off my neck, get out of my way, and let me earn a living with people I like.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I don't want to have a big political debate. I just I want to say 2020 is also proof that we need communities and we need to agree on things and we need to help each other in a way that's not every man for himself. Those that COVID vaccine ain't gonna come out of space. It's gonna come from community efforts organized business interests, all of us working together. That's how we solve problems like this. And I feel the same way about some of the other things like whales. If if we don't agree collectively on a global scale that we're not going to kill all the whales, there ain't going to be no whales. That's mm-hmm. a government thing. That's a community thing that we do together as humans to get on the right page together.
0: Mm, it it- uh, let's take masks for instance, because I'm not yeah. I'm not a COVID denier. I don't think it's a hoax. I think it's real. I took it re- I, I took it very seriously from the beginning, trying to figure out what was going on. You saw businesses like the NBA and the NCAA walking away from millions, if not billions, of dollars because they wanted to do the right thing in a lack of information environment in March, saying. In good conscience, we cannot have these events. We have to cancel these events. Businesses across the spectrum did that. People people are willing, and Stuart Huff was on my podcast years ago and, and gave this great analogy. He's like, I, I witnessed a car crash, and several of us pull over, and it's a group of various races, colors, creeds, running to help this person. And not once did any of us go... I wonder if the person I'm going to save is Jewish or are they white right. or are they you know whatever right when we see people in trouble when we see empathy really does work but what gets in the middle of that empathetic response is a sense of resentment and backlash and the greatest driver of resentment and backlash in the world today is government <laughs> is politicians
1: I totally disagree about that all right why Well, I would say the biggest resentment in my life is health insurance, which is a private company, which is set up like the mob to help me if I have a problem, I give them a little protection money every month. And as soon as I have a problem, they try to fuck me out of the protection that I bought. And they're a giant bureaucracy that doesn't even need to exist. If there's a single payer plan, if you and I just agree that if somebody gets cancer, we all chip in a little to help them get out of cancer, then we don't have a health insurance industry. We're all better off and the cancer treatment's better. It's a win, win, win.
0: Yeah, but the the private insurance markets, for instance, they're able to use the force of government. They're able to buy politicians to go through the through Obamacare, through the HMO Act of 71, through the various acts of Congress and write the laws that give them the best deal on ensuring their it's it's why social media wants to be regulated because then all of a sudden they can write the laws that enshrine their position and make sure that they're Facebook and Twitter forever and you never get to start parler you know and that's sort of what's happened in the insurance industry and so we 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 look at the 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 now and we go why is this broken why does this not work and we never go back and look at what are the tools that these companies use to build this corrupt network? And it's often the force of government instead of the free market. We, we don't have a free market system. We have a, a Frankenstein system that has been built over a series of major pieces of legislation that they've personally designed.
1: Yeah, I agree that it's a it's a gigantic mess that doesn't succeed from any of the points of view at any level, but I would say to you that the issue is not that the government is a problem. It's that we don't agree as a culture. This is something that's puzzled me for always. You and I both agree, I think, and most people in America will agree without a hesitation. We all have the right to an education. Mm -hmm. Why don't you have the right to leukemia treatment? Why is that something that you have to pay for or maybe you don't get it or maybe you don't get it at a level that's good that's that doesn't seem fair to me
0: yeah i don't think there's anybody on the right or on the free market side of the argument that doesn't agree with that that there shouldn't be low cost easy access healthcare for anybody that's that's suffering what we disagree on is the methods to get to that point you know, the the right. way that, that, that the system is set up there, there are a lot of free market healthcare systems that operate just like you described. You often hear them advertised on like a conservative talk radio network. You know, the, the, uh, the group of Christians that have several thousand people in it that contribute monthly and then they draw based on need and it's a private insurance network. Uh, those exist. You can, you can get involved in those and opt out totally. There's a lot of doctors that opt out totally from Medicare, from, the private insurance network, and they take cash only. What what happened under Obama and has happened under Trump is that the, the federal government is trying to limit their, if not kill off, all of those options because they don't want those options to exist. They want their system. It's, it's part of why, you know, so.
1: It, yeah, but they're only th- even in this mess because the culture at large doesn't accept the premise that we should all chip in and take care of each other. Otherwise, it would be a single payer system and all of this mess would disappear. There's no reason a cash register should be involved with a healthcare visit. There's no reason that, that I, upper middle class dude, am hesitant to go get healthcare because I can't afford it. And what right. about the other 250 million people below me on the income level? What I mean, what is, what are we doing to ourselves? That in my opinion, that is That's a failure of the community. That's because we haven't stepped up like almost every other industrialized country has and decided to do that. We have the means.
0: Yeah, it goes all of these arguments. We could argue about any issue ad ad nauseum. But we're, we're a country of 370 million people. And you can't when you force other people to participate in your worldview, you invite them into that process. You can't force people to care about what you care about. And what the what the free market system, what laissez faire, what libertarian, whatever you want to call it, says it goes back to something that Thomas Sowell talks about in his book Conflict of Visions. There's two types of visions for government. There's the the person who says we can pass legislation that will per, will perfect society. There's we have the ability to pass enough laws to make it work, and then there are the people who say. We need to just look at the cold realities of human nature and design systems around that and that there will be a certain amount of bad actors that you just can't cure. There are just a certain number of people that are never going to wear masks. It doesn't matter how hard you go in, in sure. terms of legislation. There are some people who are not going to wear masks. And the more legislation you pass, the more of those people you create. You know, The more you try to force people to participate in things instead of persuading them then the more resentment and backlash, the less the less uh, compliance you have. That's the libertarian argument about all of these things is that I, I truly believe that you can persuade people to do the right thing for a large percentage of the population. I think we saw that this year. I think a large majority of people looked at this and said, I'm willing to stay home and sacrifice for Uh, a a couple weeks, two to three weeks four. how long, four weeks, right? Like, just be honest with me, be straight up with me. I'm willing to do that. But then once it starts to like, well, we're going to do this till the vaccine and we don't know when that's going to be. And it starts to change a little bit. And people feel like they're not being told the truth. And then they're, you know, the businesses that are marked essential, for instance, are big donors to our state's governor or, you know, like it, once it goes back to Hayek's knowledge problem, which basically this guy, Friedrich Hayek, said there is no the a complex society like ours is too large and unwieldy for there to be a group of experts to to run the government effectively. It cannot regulate itself because you can never learn enough to I actually. Disagree
1: I disagree with that. You want experts to run everything. In fact, that's one of the problems in a democracy, is that most of us who vote have no idea what we're doing. (laughs) The weakness of democracy isn't that it doesn't work well. It's that the people in the democracy aren't working on it. They're not doing it well. That's the biggest weakness in a democracy, in my opinion. Um, I will say this. I, I listened to some of We Are Libertarians today, and I'm very impressed at how much homework you do and how open you are and how thoughtful you are. And I specifically listened today to the uh, the one about the, um, uh, the language is escaping me, the Presidential Debate Commission. Is that the right mm-hmm. phrase? Yep. That's a great one. And you make a great point about... And I think a lot of libertarians, this is one of the thrusts of their of their frustration is that they're squeezed out of the conversation. Uh, and I totally agree with you on that. And I wanna ask you because uh, basically your point was, and I totally agree that when third parties are squeezed out of the debates, they're squeezed out of the big part of the conversation and they get squeezed out of the public perception that they're a realistic option. And it doesn't allow them the chance to really build and grow and be. So where do you draw the line? Because I don't know what the answer is. If how do you decide who's in a debate?
0: So there are really only four parties in America today. Like there are there's the Constitution Party. There's the American Solidarity Party. There's there's parties, right? The Transhumanist Party. But. When you get down to it, there's the two major parties we all know, and then there's the Green Party and the Libertarian Party, and they consistently get on the ballot across the country. Joe Jorgensen, the presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, will be on all 50 ballots this year, uh, and I believe in Washington, D.C., too. The Green Party candidate, Howie Hawkins, I don't think will be on all the different ballots. Uh the the pre, what most people don't realize is the presidential debate commission founded in uh, nineteen eighty eight after Jack Anderson had a strong race I- against Carter and some others. Uh, it it was formed by the Republican and Democratic parties right. and took over the presidential debates from the League of Women Voters for the sole purpose of excluding everyone but Republicans and Democrats, and then. Ross Perot squeaked through in 92. Well, after Ross Perot, they fixed it, and they said you can only, to get into the debate, to get Howie Hawkins and Joe Jorgensen into this debate, you've got to be at 15% in polling, and it has to be in the polling from these five firms. Well, those five firms never add Joe Jorgensen or Howie Hawkins to their polling. So how can you get 15% in a poll if you're never included in the poll to begin with? Uh, And so it's a complete and wholly corrupt process You basically have Pepsi and Coca-Cola writing the laws across the board to exclude Fago and RC Cola. And there may there may be some people out there that like RC Cola. I'm not one of them, but, uh, you know, there it's it comes down to choice like it's a it's your First Amendment right to organize, to gather together, to speak freely on your ballot. And to and what Republicans and Democrats have systematically done is they've drawn districts, gerrymandered districts to make maintain their power. You have straight ticket voting in a a state like Indiana. We have a libertarian candidate for governor here who is putting real pressure on the Republican and straight ticket voting makes it very, very hard for him to uh, actually succeed because it's an incumbent protection system. And then you have things like the debate protection. So people go, well, the libertarians just can't get their stuff together. The Green Party can't get their stuff together. Well, they're put at a fundamental disadvantage. Like there isn't voter fraud. Like the, all the talk about voter fraud, it's infinitesimal. It doesn't exist. If you do your homework on it, your, va- your ballot, your vote, it's all safe. Where the voter fraud takes place is at the drawing of districts, the ballot access laws, keeping right. third parties off your ballot and protecting Republicans and Democrats from succeeding. And so where do you draw the line? I'm not, you know, here in Indiana, you basically have to have around 10,000 votes in a single statewide race, the secretary of state's race to be considered a party. That seems fair, right? Like, you know, maybe not a thousand, but 10,000, if you can organize 10,000 people, which realistically is not all that hard in a state of six and a half million people, that's fair you know, put some percentage on it, put, but then you have states like uh, Ohio where it's 4%, 3% in a presidential election. And, you know, they change it every four years to keep the party from succeeding in Ohio. The, you know, it's, it's just completely corrupt. And everybody knows who, who pays attention to this stuff knows what's going on. It's just, how do you get, how do you get the viewers here watching this to care?
1: Yeah, that's right. It's a great question. And I, I mean, I, I said sub- to take the cartoonish example, what do you do with the Kanye West who could theoretically, you know, check some of these boxes and wind up in a presidential debate? I mean, the the casual observer is trying to keep a serious conversation. Not that that's what we had in these presidential debates. Right. <laughs> but in theory, that's what you're trying to do is to have a real conversation amongst real people who could win. You have to have some barrier to entry, right?
0: Uh. Yeah, like I said, I'm not I'm not uh, against some barrier to entry, but I'm also a big fan of free and open speech. You know, I want Alex Jones to have all the carte blanche on all these platforms possible because you only made the conspiracy theorists uh, more aggressive and more like QAnon was a, a, a blip on the radar when Alex Jones had a Twitter account. But then you ban him. More people go and watch him. Right. You know, it's the same with Kanye West. Put him in a debate. What's the real danger? People are going to see Kanye West and they're going to go, nope. You know, I mean, most people, (laughs) there, there is some piece of the irony vote that he will carry, like Donald Trump carried the irony vote, the meme vote in 2016. But Kanye West is on the state in 12 ballots and he's only on in one swing state in Minnesota. And could he swing that away from Joe Biden and give that state to Minnesota? Yeah, but... The reality is Donald Trump has done enough to lose. He he has done enough to expand Joe Biden's map. So the real danger is like not Kanye West. The fact is, is that the president hasn't done enough to reach out to people that aren't in his base and has expanded his electoral play. You see what I'm saying? Like that's on Donald Trump. That's not on Kanye West or Joe Jorgensen's existence.
1: No, I understand that point of view. I don't disagree with you on that. I, I just... I, I yeah I agree I agree broadly with everything you said in in the podcast and here I I think it's it's a tricky dance but it's it's a dance that's rigged from the beginning for the big boys I, I think your parallel about the colas is totally it t- it's simple and it's beautiful and that's exactly what it is of course some people want RC cola but if it's not in the store it's not going to get bought you know right. it should be a part of the it should at least be on the shelf I agree. Um, hey, let's do something that we've never done here on 50 Toast, and that's uh, go to the phones. If you guys are uh, watching on Facebook Live and you want to ask a question of our guest, uh, post it Post it now. I'll take a quick look and see if we can. Uh... I haven't done this before because I was afraid this would be cumbersome, so let's see how we'd go.
0: Well, I'm amazed that there's, there's anyone that would want to ask me a question, uh, but... I will say Ronald McDuffin made a great joke. The great memester in the Bob and Tom Facebook group. Yeah. Said, Chris Spangle doesn't call it 50 toasts. He calls it 25 potential sandwiches. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is a good joke. That's good writing.
0: Yeah. Oh, he's hilarious.
1: <laughs> Here he is. You on the sauce again. Uh, there's some agreement about uh, gerrymandering. Ron Milford wanted to ask about uh, I think we've covered this, but he wanted to get you to talk about uh, wasted votes. People always say ah, you're wasting your vote when you vote libertarian or so, small party.
0: Yeah. Love Ron Milford. Um, beautiful patron of this podcast. Uh, you know it's a scare tactic and it's basically people who are in one of the two major clubs telling you don't do anything that'll get you kicked out of the club. Don't vote your conscience. Don't vote for the party that best represents you. Don't vote for, listen, if you, if you take I side with, and you land on the transhumanist side, vote for them, vote for your vote for your conscience. Yeah. You know the, the Republicans and Democrats don't care about you and they don't respect you. And they don't uh, they, they need to be shown that if you don't agree with the things that that we've talked about tonight, they need to see it. And there's one way for them to see it. And it's on Election Day. Like, you know, to go back to the, the Indiana example, you've got a popular governor, Republican, longtime, you know, party official who's the governor right now who implemented these mask mandates. The Libertarian is nipping at his heels, getting 24 percent in a three way race, putting pressure on him. The grassroots here are very upset in the Republican Party at the governor, and they're going to vote for the Libertarian to show him we don't like what you were doing. It's easy when you're in the office to just kind of go, well, I'm just dismissing this one person in their voice. It's really hard when you look down at the ballot and when the libertarians always get 4% of the vote in the governor's race and all of a sudden they've got 15% of the vote, maybe I got to check myself. Or, you know, worse if you're the governor, the libertarian beats you, you know. And so there is a real honest to goodness check. It's not just a protest vote. I vote libertarian. I vote for all three parties. I vote independent. I vote Libertarian, Democrat, and Republican. Uh, I vote for the person that I like. I vote multi-party every time, but I vote Libertarian primarily a because I believe with them, agree with them the most, and I want to actually exercise my principles. And b I'm not going to buy into the fear that I need to vote for Donald Trump or Joe Biden as a as a a form of self-protection, because we view our vote as like. I got to pay these gay, like these Italian mobsters to protect me from the Irish mobsters. You know, I got aligned. So these guys can beat up on those guys. If I get uh, it's just we got to opt out of it. Change takes courage. And if you actually want change in this country, you have to do something about it and you have to stop being fearful.
1: Yeah. All right. Here's a couple of questions. Uh, A ranked candidate system. How do you feel about that? I don't even know what that means. Educate me.
0: Ranked choice voting, and I hope I don't get this wrong, um, is favored by a lot of libertarians because what that it's sort of like if you see the runoffs. Uh, so you, you have two candidates stand for election and if they fall below 50 percent. So you have four candidates and then the top two go into a, a runoff uh, for the seat after that. They cleared the deck with the other. So so it's sort of like if you've watched a convention, you have the first round. And you've got four candidates and these three have and then this drops off. But then these votes go to those three. And then the third round, this drops off and then they go to these two candidates. Uh, OK, so, so everybody's second choice becomes pretty powerful and, and you have more negotiating. So it's almost like a convention voting. So I hope I got that right, because I don't I don't I have not studied it in depth.
1: We got some uh, we got some smart questions here. Boxers or briefs? <laughs>
0: Briefs all the way. <laughs> I, I wear I wear briefs during the day because I like a nice controlled comfort, and then boxers <laughs> at night because I'm a wild man.
1: <laughs> That's a better answer than I expected. Uh, what do you miss, Jeff Vibert? Not at all. <laughs> that can't be right.
0: I do. I love Jeff. I, I catch <laughs> up with him every once in a while, and it's nice to see him annoying somebody else and uh, loving him from afar. He's at Barclays- <laughs> sports.
1: Uh, they're saying, how do we get to this change? Is it patience? Is it way off in the future? If, if we're going to have a libertarian universe and some legit libertarian candidates, what do we got to do between here and there?
0: Well, first it starts with people making the decision. There's a great YouTube video that you should look up called the first follower. And it illustrates what needs to be done. There is this guy dancing in a field that like a Bonnaroo type thing. And he looks like a nut job and just everybody's sitting down, like going, "Ugh." I like this already. What a weirdo. Yeah. And then one guy runs up and starts dancing with him. That, <laughs> that first follower, <laughs> the guy who, who, who says, Hey, it's okay to dance. Then another one runs up and then another one. And then all of a sudden, by the end of the video, everybody rushes in. And, and it's such a great, uh, th- like <laughs> it, we truly live in a free society. Like, I know we all talk about how we're losing our rights and all that, but like I literally have a podcast where I rail against the government every Saturday. Like, you know, we live in a free society. We can make changes and we have the ability to get involved. We just, like you said, choose not to because we don't think anything. That cynicism is killing us. Have a little optimism. Yes, it is off in the future. And I think about 2100, not 2020. But the more of us that choose to opt out, choose to be that first follower and stand up next to the guy that looks weird, that's saying the crazy things because it's not what's done. The sooner we're going to get there, you never know how quickly it can avalanche.
1: That's great. Uh, Spangled, does your mom listen to your podcast?
0: No, not my parents. Uh, I will be honest. My dad never got the politics thing. He was very disappointed. I was not good at sports. He has apologized for making me play football in seventh grade when I cried a lot. He was never proud of me until I started working at Bob and Tom. And that's when he told me he was proud of me. And I just haven't been the same. I haven't had the same edge since, to be honest. But uh, neither of them have listened to a podcast. Uh, my brother has listened to two. Uh, but my dad did say he listened to his first podcast, and it was the Dale Jr. download. So at least we got it on his phone.
1: That's great, man. You're a good sport. I appreciate you coming on and having a conversation. It's funny because when I was coming into this, I didn't want to talk politics. And then I thought, no, I want to. And then I went back and forth. And then I stopped thinking about it until we disagreed about something. I'm like, we need to talk politics. And I'm like, no, no, no. Uh, I,
0: I do this all day long. I'm disagreeable by nature. I'm used to it. So uh, I just enjoy was- uh, it.
1: You're, you're a thoughtful dude, man. I really enjoy your podcast. Go check it out, everybody. We are Libertarians. He does do a totally honest assessment of the news. There's a refreshingness about it that he's not coming at it as one of the teammates in this war that we're constantly watching. Uh, so there's something really refreshing about it. You do your homework. Uh, I highly recommend it. And the Pat Down podcast you and Miss Pat. Which one of you is the straight man? I always forget. <laughs> well, I—it's
0: probably me. It's me, Dion Curry, and Miss Pat, and it's—it like it's basically them. Like I grew up in Plainfield, Indiana, which is ninety-eight percent white. Miss Pat grew up in inner city Atlanta, and a part you never drove through.
1: Yeah, and, no, I've seen it. And so
0: <laughs> Vine City, and she moved to my hometown. And she had never been around white people till she was 30 years old. Right. And so what we've had over the last two years is really a fun look at a lot of different stuff, telling her stories. It's crazy. It's funny. But the the under part of it is me learning about black culture and her learning about white culture and Dion yelling at both of us. And it is a, a non-threatening fun way to hear people have honest conversations about race and learn about each other and, you know, and, and it's, but it's, it's also the funniest, no offense to you, the funniest podcast you're ever going to listen to because she's just a freak of nature in such a good way. And like, I, I get so into the politics stuff and the research and the homework and my work and working full time and doing that on the side. And then I go do these every two or three or four weeks, like sit down, have three hours to talk to them. And I have tears in my eyes every time. Uh, It's just such a great podcast. And it's so like, it's so needed right now. You know what I'm. What what I love about it is just that people really, really enjoy like, the comedy, but you learn something through the process.
1: Yeah, she's a character, man. She's hard to. If you don't know Miss Pat, find her. Go to well, this podcast. Go watch your YouTube clips. She's hard to believe she's real, and she's absolutely genuine. That's the magic of it.
0: She does, um, she looked at Kaylee Cuoco on the cabin with Burt Kreisch on Netflix <laughs> and said. Who watches Big Bang Theory and why do you deserve a million dollars? And it it was so blunt and honest. It made all the news. It was was awesome.
1: Fair question. Um, Next week in this space, I will have my buddy Dan Kaufman. He is a lawyer. He is a comedian. He's a podcast host. He's a cartoonist. He's a character. I can't wait to talk to him and ask him all the questions about the cartooning and how it works on Instagram and the whole process. Um, Follow us in all the places that you follow us. It's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's Instagram. And do the same thing with this guy, Chris Spangle. You know him uh, from We Are Libertarians and Bob and Tom Show. and check out Patreon. Go to Patreon.com and type in Kostaki, and it'll teach you how to do the things and to be one of uh, one of a very, very new budding community that we are now building. So, I'm proud of it. I uh, we did a thing with our quick snaps, uh, the podcast Patreon folks last week, and I couldn't believe how much I love these people. It was really, it's been really fun. Kind of using pa- Patreon was to me, it was. It's a little bit like. Um, this is a weird parallel, but it's a little bit like internet dating, like when it first came out. It was like, yeah. I'm not fucking doing that. Yeah. And now I'm like, I love it. I love it. You can just go in there and go, no smokers, no this, no that. It's, it's like internet dating. It's such a great thing. It allows you to support the creators and the artists and the bands and the weirdos and mm-hmm in whatever you like and to connect with them. And they have a way to thank you back now, which makes it this sort of uh, a cyclical community thing. And so I'm just embracing it now. I'm on the ground floor of it and uh, we're loving it. Anyway, I have to tell you that you're. you're- no,
0: we, we didn't do any kind of monetization until year five. We're now in year nine of We Are Libertarians. Everything changed when we started the Patreon because a people felt like they were investing in it. Because if you love anything that a creator does, if you love what Kostaki does, you should support that. Think of it as a tip. Think of it as, as supporting that content because the model right. in the new age is just totally changing. But the, the, the ability to get to know Ron Milford, the ability to yeah, get right. to know Casey funky, the ability to get to know the people in the Bob and Tom group or my Patreon group, or it's just such a, a huge, huge benefit to my life. It is to the creator's life. It. You get friendships out of it in a time when it's very hard to create new friendships. I I love Patreon. I love the the psychology shift that happens once people get involved and support in that way, because it just becomes a totally different dynamic.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well said, man. It's been a pleasure, Chris Spangle. Thanks, buddy.
0: Much. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for doing this. Someday when the world is uh, what it used to be, uh, I'll buy a sandwich again.
0: Excellent. Look forward. I want
1: some more advice. Absolutely. <laughs> Here to help. Take it easy, buddy. We'll see you.